You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. trial and as I go through affliction, as I go through suffering, am I looking to glorify the Lord? Or am I just looking to get out of this trial as soon as possible? Can we just get this over with now? Or am I looking to glorify God in the midst of it? Am I looking to glorify the Father in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain? Is that what I'm looking for? Or maybe I want to glorify myself. Look what I did. I got out of this trial pretty good, didn't I? There is a purpose behind everything, right? What you say and what you do will show people around you whether you put yourself first or God. As one who knows the Lord, you have a perfect example of prayer through Jesus as Pastor Dave explains today. The only thing that matters is that you do pray. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17 as he begins his message, Jesus prays for himself. You are John chapter 17. Wow. We're specifically looking at verses 1 through 5. As I said, we're starting a very touching, a very poignant set of scriptures. When I studied them and I continued to read over them, my heart was so filled with joy and with with what's going on and what, what is being said here that I really just can't wait to share it with you. And as the Spirit has led me. So we're going to read these verses, and because I think they are so important, I'll read aloud if you want to follow along silently, please. Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, the glory which I had with you before the world was. Throughout the Bible... There are several passages that when I read them, I feel like I need to remove my shoes, for I am entering in a holy place. I feel like I'm entering a place that I must take what is written deep into my heart, and I must settle it there. It's an important place that I enter into. It's a, it's a most holy place, a sacred place, if you will, where as I read these scriptures, I get a glimpse into the heart of my beloved Savior and into the heart of our beloved Godfather. A beautiful place as I read in these scriptures and I become overwhelmed by what is being said there because of the reality that what God is saying through his spirit to us today. One such passage is one that you're probably familiar with, it's in the second chapter of, Paul letters, of Paul's letter to the Philippians in verses 5 through 11. 
It's called holy ground. It's called holy ground because I know that when I'm reading this, I'm in a most holy place where Jesus didn't think it robbery to be equal with God and how he humbled himself and became a man. These beautiful things. And you look into the heart of God and you see it clearly displayed to you. And you look at it like it's awesome to see. What a privilege this is. Today, as we begin chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, I feel like this is where I am. I feel like I am in a holy place with you. I feel like we're entering into sacred territory. It's like we have been given an invitation. We have been given an invitation to listen on in a conversation of the Godhead. We've been given an invitation to listen as the beloved son cries out and speaks to his father. We need to realize what a privilege this is to study something like this. We can't take it lightly. John 17 is the holy of holies of the gospel record. There is no greater words penned than Jesus' words here in John 17. We need to approach it with humility. And we need to approach it with a heart of worship. John 17 is broken into three parts. And we're going to divide them up, hence the title, As Jesus Prays, Part 1. Because in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. And then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus is going to pray for his disciples that are gathered with him. And then finally, in verses 20 to 26, Jesus is going to pray for all believers, past and present and future believers, one who will come to the knowledge of him as Savior and declare their faith in him. This recorded prayer of Jesus could really be honestly tubbed the Lord's Prayer. Because in the Luke account, in the Matthew account, Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's given them an example for how to pray. This is how you pray and say in this manner. But here, here we have Jesus' own very words to the Father. His own very words written down and penned by the Apostle John, led by the Holy Spirit, to help us to glean just what was on Jesus' heart. You might ask the question, well, why did Jesus pray this prayer? Well, for starters, he was preparing himself for the vast and great suffering he was about to endure. He was preparing his heart that just a matter of hours away, he would endure the most cruelest punishment known to man. He would be beaten with an inch of his life. His beard would be ripped out. His, he would be spat upon. He would be humiliated. And he would endure such shame on a cross, on a tree, that only the cursed are hung on. As we made our way through chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and over the course of this evening that is encapsulated in those chapters, Jesus has told the disciples everything he could tell them at this time. He knew they were upset that he was leaving, and he knew that they couldn't understand what he was telling them. But he also knew that they would eventually understand it. It would eventually come true to their hearts, and it would eventually be able, they would be able to preach what they have seen and what they have heard. So he tries to comfort them, and he tries to encourage them. But now all of a sudden, 
as they're making their way through Jerusalem. They may be somewhere near the east gate. I'm not sure. They may be even out of the east gate, overlooking the Kidron Valley, overlooking the brook Kidron, with their eyes focused on the Mount of Olives and knowing that the Garden of Gethsemane was right there. But he stops. Suddenly, he just stops. And he begins to pray. I wonder what the disciples thought when they looked at him. When all of a sudden he breaks into this incredibly passionate and beautiful prayer. We've been invited to listen in to this most intimate, this most personable prayer that the son now prays to the father. In our verses, he begins praying for himself. He begins praying for himself first. So see, it's not bad for us to pray for ourselves. It's not bad for us to pray for ourselves. Jesus is praying for himself first. And it's a great model we have. But I get there's a sense of joy in his heart. There's a sense of peace in his heart. And there's a sense of joy in his heart. Someone said this, quote, The secret of Jesus was and is his interjoy. The secret of Jesus was and is his interjoy. But where did this joy come from? Where did this joy come from? Think about this now. Think about this. He owned no material possessions. He didn't have a home, had no place to lay his head at night. He roamed the countryside and slept outdoors. He has no office to go to work in. He has no church or building to worship in. He constantly dealt with the rude, angry religious people every single day who hated him. And he faced off with demons and he healed people constantly on a daily basis. He really didn't have anywhere to go. And yet, he had an inner joy that no one could quench. An inner joy deep in his heart that no one could quench. A joy that others wanted. A joy that others saw and sought after, and they wanted it for themselves. When you have that joy in your heart, maybe going through a trial or going through a circumstances, I can guarantee people see that and they want that. They want that joy. I spoke of Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, several times. And it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising all shame. Where did that joy come from? From whence did that joy come? Jesus knew what waited him on the other side of the cross. That's where I think his joy came from. He knew that he would be reunited with the Father. He knew that on the other side of the cross, the redemption of mankind would be complete. And he knew that you, me, all those who would accept him would be his joy. And being reunited with the Father, his joy would then be complete. So I believe that that inner joy came from his relationship with God the Father. His joy came from knowing that he could finish the work. He would finish the work of salvation. His inner joy came from being connected to the Father through the constant prayer life while he was here on earth. But his joy would be complete when he had finished the work that he was sent to do and heads back to the Father. His joy would be complete. Jesus only had one desire. He only had one desire, and that was to honor the Father and not to please men. That's all he wanted to do was honor the Father and not please men. So he opens his prayer by looking up to heaven. Let's look at verse 1. 
Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Look at what he's doing. He just opens up in prayer. He looks up to heaven. Now, I'm assuming, I don't know this for sure, it doesn't say that, but his eyes are focused on heaven. Did he raise his hands? It doesn't say. We can only put conjecture that he might have raised his hands. So he's looking up to the Father, and he's praying now to the Father. How do you pray? Well, some of us sit. Some of us stand. Some of us close our eyes. I hope not when driving. Some of us have our eyes open. You ever be praying and somebody sees your eyes open and they go, oh, there's no set model here. You can pray with your eyes open. I pray all the time when I drive. And believe me, my eyes are open. Some people have their hands folded. There's no, there's no set thing here. There's no set thing for praying. It's not how you pray. It's if you pray. It's if you pray. And you should be praying. Jesus prayed. He lifted up his eyes towards heaven. He probably lifted up his hands. We don't know. It doesn't say. And he, he was in total submission to the Father. Totally submissive to God. And the first thing he acknowledges is his hour has come. We studied this numerous times because it's written several times in the Gospel of John, beginning all the way back at the marriage feast of Cana in chapter 2. His hour had come. Remember, we said that Jesus lived on a divine timetable. He lived on a divine timetable, and everything he did was in the Father's hand. And I think this is really cool because King David understood that, or let me put it this way, David the psalmist understood that because listen to what he writes inspired by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 31.5, my times are in your hands. Speaking to the Lord, my time are in your hands. Sometimes we should all remember and take heart that our time is in God's hand. You're not going to leave earth one second before the time is up. Because time is in God's hands. Your time is in God's hand. The hour has come. Jesus is praying. And as Jesus is praying, somewhere in the midst of Jerusalem, probably around the temple area, Judas is in there making a deal with the religious leaders to sell Jesus out. A mob is gathering. A mob is getting ready because they're getting clubs and they're getting all sorts of swords and things because they're going to go and arrest this guy. We're going to get him. So a mob is getting ready. And this is all happening. This is all happening. The time had come. Time was now. Father, the hour has come. Next thing Jesus does is he petitions the Father. And he asks the Father to glorify the Son so that the Son could glorify the Father. And I love it's interesting here. He didn't say glorify me. He said glorify the Son. He speaks in a third person. He's speaking in a third person. I love that. Why did he say this? Why did he say glorify the Son so that the Son could glorify the Father? He knew what lay ahead. He knew the pain, he knew the anguish, he knew the suffering that was awaiting him. But his only desire was to glorify the Father. He was not seeking glory for himself. Scripture says he could have called legions from heaven down to smite everyone while he was hanging on the cross. He could have come off that cross and taken names. 
Those nails didn't hold him to that cross. He was up there by his own free will. He held himself to that cross. All he wanted to do was glorify the Father. And as I read this, I started thinking about me. As I go through a trial and as I go through affliction, as I go through suffering, am I looking to glorify the Lord? Or am I just looking to get out of this trial as soon as possible? Can we just get this over with now? Or am I looking to glorify God in the midst of it? Am I looking to glorify the Father in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain? Is that what I'm looking for? Or maybe I want to glorify myself. Look what I did. I got out of this trial pretty good, didn't I? No. The Father wants to be glorified. Are we often, so often, we seek glory for ourselves, and these are wrong motives. We desire to be recognized. Our problem is our flesh desires glory. Our flesh desires glory. Come on, I've said this before. Turn on a college football game. Not one of those teams is yelling, we're number two. We're number two. Everybody wants to be number one. We all want our flesh to be recognized. We all want the worship and praise of man. We want to be noted as the best, the greatest, the most holy. I want to be noted as the honorable right reverend. Yeah. We all want that. It's a fleshly desire. But oh, that we would all echo the Apostle Paul when he said, God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid that I would glory in anything except the cross. Wow. Jesus was seeking to give glory to the Father. It was through the cross that Jesus brought glory to the Father. From a human point of view, the cross was a revolting, barbaric thing in every way. It was certainly, in our vocabulary, cruel and unusual punishment in every single way. But from a divine point of view, the cross revealed and magnified the grace and glory of God. The grace and glory of God are magnified to the 10th degree on that cross. You read Ephesians 1, and two times the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And he uses it in connection with our salvation through Jesus Christ. Why? Because our salvation was purchased by Jesus Christ. God's righteousness law required me to die because of my sin. But Jesus took the guilt of my sin and died in my place. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus did that for me. So all I can do is praise God. All I can do is say, thank you, Jesus, and praise God. That's what I'm born to do. All I can do is give him glory and praise for his grace that constantly comes towards me. I praise the glory of his grace. Jesus was seeking to glorify the Father. We should try to do this too. Everything we do, we should strive to glorify the Father. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and give you a pat on the back. No that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven. When you ask God for a blessing, ask it so you might glorify Him. Lord, help me in this so that you could be glorified. Help me in my endeavor to speak your gospel so that you could be glorified. Help me to shine the light of Jesus Christ into a life so that you can be glorified. Jesus continues in his prayer in verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given 
him. Again, he's speaking, still speaking in the third person. You have given him. He is speaking about himself. Also, in this verse, I see another clear and concise claim of Jesus' deity. Here is another clear and concise claim of the deity of Jesus Christ. He has authority over all flesh, and he has the ability to give eternal life to all that were given to him. Only God can make that claim. Only God can make that claim. So Jesus is claiming that he is God. Remember, he and the Father are one. This is a well-known fact to the writers of the Bible. It's a well-known fact to the writers of the Bible. Listen to some of these things. In the Messianic Psalm 2, in verse 7, the Spirit says, I will declare and decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Daniel, speaking about the coming of the Messiah, says in 7.14, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus himself said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. John writes in John 3:35, "The Father loves the Son as and given all things into his hand." And finally, once again, we go back to that beautiful scripture in Philippians 2:9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, it all leads to the glory of the God the Father. It all leads to his glory. And what does it mean to me that God has given Jesus all power over all flesh? Has put all things in subjection to him. What does it mean to him? Well, one thing means he has the power to destroy me. He has the power to take me out. Or he has the power to give me eternal life. But then there's a crazy thing he gets, lets me choose. He says, you're either with me or you're against me. You're not both. You're either with me or you're against me. He, for some reason, he's given me free will. I can submit to his authority or I can rebel against his authority. But I only have this right because God has allowed me this right. God has given me this right. And if I rebel, I have nobody to blame but myself. However, if I submit to his lordship, he gives me eternal life. Note the word give. And it's used many, many times during this prayer. Jesus has given to us. What has he given to us? The most marvelous gift that anyone has ever given. He has given us eternal life. He's given us eternal life by his death on the cross. It is a gift. And you know the beautiful passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. When Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.